Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Suave. I've been in my bag for a while, I'm invincible Story of a young boss, grinding shit critical Calling on my bros one time, cause you special I had some hood dreams of right rounds for my mentor Every target that I shoot is on point like a pencil Different route, change relationships, I'm so sorry Came up from the trenches and I made it, I say hardly BetOnline.ag is your number one source for all of your basketball info, stats, news, and scores Get the latest odds and lines, including the latest play reports for this year's pro basketball playoffs. Bet Online is always your sports information headquarters this season, as we have you covered for all of your sports wagering needs. Basketball, MLB, NHL hockey, right to UFC and boxing. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including a live betting option and your favorite casino and car games you can play right from your home. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Be sure to use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. All righty, guys, we are back with another episode of the What's In Your Bag podcast presented by Bet Online. As you know, before we get into the, you know, the nitty-gritty of the episode, got to remind you guys to like this podcast, subscribe to this podcast, give us a five-star rating, it goes a very, very long way. We're up with just 7,000 subscribers on YouTube now. Um, I just hit 1K on, on Instagram. So we're growing. We're growing by the day. So just thanks to everybody who's tuning into the podcast, sharing the podcast, man. Definitely goes a long way. That was my guy, Pull Up Tay, on the intro. It's going to be him again here on the outro. Make sure you guys are streaming his music. He just dropped a, uh, a new album, man. So go tap in with that. One of the hottest up-and-coming artists out of the DMV. But... Without further ado, man, now that we got all the business out the way, I'm Andrew Robinson. As always, joined by my co-host Alexis Davis. Alexis, man, what's good? You've been, you've been all around the world, you know, covering Super Bowl. Just got hired by the Phoenix Suns. Got a clap for her in Phoenix Mercury doing social media over there. You know what I'm saying? So, what's up, man? How you been? Give us a little, a little update. Superstar. It's good. Um, it's definitely fine to be like, you know, inside of an NBA team during playoffs and not just, you know, watching on TV, but actually the ins and out and the marketing that goes behind playoff runs and all of that. So it's definitely uh good to see the other side. That's dope, man. You know, I'm I'm just grateful to be blessed with your presence on this on this platform because you know she she don't get too too Hollywood for us one day. So you know, we gotta we gotta enjoy her while while we can. <laughs> nah, man, but um Definitely got to introduce our guest, man. This is a uh, shoot. This is this is a what we met twenty what sixteen. You came to Quinnipiac, yeah. Seven years in the making. Um, one of my guys, man. Definitely somebody who's played high level basketball all around the world, from the G League to overseas. Um, somebody who's obviously as a bunch of you guys probably know from uh, all my guys' career, Mister Fifty Five, Mister Double Nickel. Cameron Young, man. Cam, what's up, my boy? How you doing? Doing good, bro. I'm out in L.A. just enjoying the offseason, bro. I appreciate you having me on the pod. No doubt, man. No doubt. We're going to have a great time catching up, you know, reminiscing back on the QU days. You know what I'm saying? But uh, before we get into that, like you mentioned before, man, obviously born and raised in L.A., out of L.A. now, enjoying the offseason. Talk to us kind of about how you got into basketball, you know, what, what kind of brought you here? Cause I feel like for me, from the outside looking in, just, you know, from talking to you over the years, um, you mentioned that you kind of were a late bloomer when it comes to basketball, 
kind of started playing a little bit later. Um, and, you know, your game kind of obviously has developed a lot since then. So just talk to me about how you got introduced to basketball um, and just, just your relationship with the game, you know, as you got older. Yeah, man, one of my boys, uh, one of my close friends, Chris, uh, went to middle school together. So he was uh, on the team like seventh and eighth grade. And I just kind of just played like on the, like at lunchtime and nutrition, stuff like that. And he was trying to get me on the team and stuff like in middle school. And I was like, nah, because like I said, I won best dress in eighth grade. So I was just really into fashion and like skateboard and stuff like that. I wasn't even tripping on a hoop. And then going into high school, I just tried out. Like I ain't hooped that whole summer. Just tried out for the team and, you know, I, I made it. And then from there, like that's where, you know, it kind of just moved forward from trying out from, in the ninth grade. That's kind of crazy. So you mentioned skateboarding. I don't think I think this might be the first time I ever heard heard you skateboard. <laughs> so you was you was you was on your skate advice out in Cali. It's like an LA thing though. Like everybody, everybody was on that at some point. Like middle school, elementary school type stuff like that. Everybody was skateboarding and stuff. So that's crazy, man. You you still got it, or you washed up now? I'm probably decent still, but I ain't even gonna take a chance out there on it to be honest. <laughs> man, it'll pop out to Venice, man. I was just at Venice the other day. I seen the skate parks out there. You know what I'm saying? Man, we'll go ahead and, you know, pop out Venice Beach, man. Go to the little skate park over there. Nah, it's a good vibe. I just go over there and watch at this point. I can't afford no injury. Smart man. A smart man. Um, Obviously, you know, I'm a DMV guy. You know, Lexus is a DMV girl as well. You know, so you outnumbered on the podcast today. Um, DMV got the best hoops in the country, but... Obviously, LA, LA is, is up there. Y'all, y'all got some cool hoops out there as well. Just talk about the LA basketball scene, um, kind of how that, I guess, I mean, now I guess talking about how you kind of grew up and just started skating, but the LA, LA basketball scene is also something that um, is major. You went to Westchester, which is a school that has a bunch of history as far as basketball. So just talk about um, how the LA basketball scene kind of influenced you as you started to kind of come into your own with, with the game. I mean, LA got the biggest influence. I mean, you say the DMV is, you know, number one in hoop, but that's obviously not true, bro. But, <laughs> like, hooping in L.A., like, you got no no choice but to, like, try to be as good as you can just because of how many good players came out of here. Like you said, I went to Westchester, so some of my big homies is, like, Trevor Reza, Bobby Brown, dudes like that who played in the league and, you know, played in the league for a while. So that L.A. influence is just, like, it's everything for real. So how would you say that kind of carries over to the player that you are today? Like anything that you learn playing on the playground or blacktop or just playing AAU in LA? Like, are there any things that you feel like you picked up early on that still kind of show up now? Yeah, I think it's just like my my style, my my swag on the court. Like LA got like a real specific like style of play, I feel like like their games are more polished and I feel like other places like guys from New York are kind of, in my opinion, not as good of shooters as guys from the West Coast. And that's just like, I feel like it has to do with your the conditions like you came up playing in and stuff like that. So definitely. Yeah, I think polish is a good word, you know what I'm saying, that to, to describe your LA guys. You know, I think us on the East Coast, we all be like, man, LA Hoopers, man, y'all, they, y'all, y'all, y'all soft, man. It be like y'all Venice Beach vibes, us East Coast vibes. You know, we, we playing outside, we in the farms with it, you know what I'm saying? 
We tried to get the, uh, matter of fact, <laughs> do you remember when Z was playing all them outside games back in uh, the summer, the COVID summer? He's watching, you know what I'm saying? That's, that's how we get down out here, you know what I'm saying? Bad basketball, bro. A lot of fouling. It don't take nothing to be good at just throwing the ball up in the hoop when you're under the basket, bro. So, <laughs> respect. You mentioned like a couple of people that went to Westchester or just around that area that you kind of look up to, but is there anyone specifically, whether that be a male figure or just basketball or non-basketball, just anyone that you've kind of been looking to or that's been kind of mentoring you through all your different stops? Uh, Yeah, for sure. Probably my teammate this year on Ignite, Poo Jeter. Like he's probably the, one of the biggest spaces in LA basketball. I only played like a year in the NBA, but he's just like so connected across everybody like everybody who plays basketball who's ever came to LA and played basketball goes through him like he's probably the biggest like influence or big brother type person that I've had him over my career now you mentioned Pooh but I know that you're also close with uh Trevor Ariza and he's somebody who you know you worked out with in the past during the offseason um I can remember just back when he was trying to get back in the league before he signed with the Heat, you know, you guys were, you know, working out together down there uh, with, with with Remy down in Miami and stuff like that. Talk about what that's been like, uh, being able to kind of follow his footsteps a little bit and learn from him, you know, work out with him and just see what it takes to really, you know, be a professional basketball player. Yeah, I mean, Trev is a, you know, a good guy to have in your corner for sure. Like, obviously he went to my high school, so I always seen him around a lot when I was in high school, but I didn't have such a close relationship with, with him like I do now. And now it's just easy. Like, if I got any questions about, like, defense, like, which is something he's known for, I can just, like, send him a text or he'll, like, FaceTime me, stuff like that, and just, you know, help me through that stuff. Or I remember, like, last summer, I was uh, getting ready to do summer league with the Cavs, and, like, he knew, like, a bunch of guys on the staff. So, like, he called – uh, bigger staff, the head coach, like right in front of me, like, yo, watch out for my young boy. Like, like it's crazy, like the influence that he got and like, you know, he willing to stick his neck out for me and, you know, because obviously he respects my game as well. So like a lot of NBA players, they go to LA during the off season, just whether that's to train or if they want to, you know, try out a new trainer or, you know, hang out with old teammates, whatever that looks like. Have you been able to kind of participate in that a little bit, either this off season or previous off seasons or ran into anybody, you know, just kind of in that realm? Uh, yeah. Um, like we normally have our own runs at LA at Westchester and uh, a couple of our other homies come who play in the league, come and play like uh, D'Anthony Melton. Like he was in the gym pretty much every week uh, last summer. Chemezi Matu, he was in the gym with me as well. So just guys like that, like, you know, they have like a, the Rico runs. But I normally don't go just because it's a little too much traffic for me. But we definitely have our own runs and the NBA dudes show up to ours too. So kind of taking it, taking it back or kind of, you know, following along that same timeline, you're at Westchester, you know, you're, you're looking to get recruited to, to go to college. What was that recruitment process like? Obviously you ended up going to, to junior college. So walk me through your mindset when you're first coming out of high school, looking to go to college. And then, you know, what, number one, I guess, what, um, what allowed you to kind of go the Juco route in the first place? And then number two, just talk about that whole Juco experience, man, because, you know, people make a lot about JUCO and how, you know, rough it is or how this and that it could be. So just talk about what those, you know, two years 
Uh, one year, actually. You had Juco for one year, two years. Two. Two years, yeah, yeah. What that two years like for you uh, down there in, in Juco? Yeah, I mean, like, recruitment was pretty slow for me. When I was in the 10th grade, I got an offer from uh, San Francisco. I was probably, like, my, my only offer in high school, but, uh, like, the coaching staff ended up getting fired before my senior year came up, so offer kind of fell through. So by the end of my senior year, like, we were a good team. We were, like, 30-6, and six, but nobody really got recruited on our team besides, you know, our main guy. And uh, so I was, like, kind of stuck at that point. And I knew I didn't want to uh, stay in L.A. and do JUCO, so I uh, got a scholarship to go JUCO in Arizona. Went out there, did a little visit and stuff like that. So, yeah, it was uh, Yuma, Arizona. So it was in the middle of nowhere, like in between probably like Phoenix and San Diego, I'd say, probably like three hours from both of them. And yeah, it was nothing to do besides work out. Like, think middle of the desert, 115 degrees. Like, yeah, so that's like probably where I got the most development. You know, over a short period of time, that in my, in, you know, my early days, starting to hoop, you know, was definitely super important in my development. Oh, we're gonna pause real quick. I think are you covering the mic? Your audio is a little bit uh, muffled when you were when you were answering the question. Uh, you hear me better now? Yeah, 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 it's better now. All right, cool. All right, bet, bet, bet. So um, you said you didn't want to do JUCO in LA. What were like, what were your main reasons for wanting to do it somewhere else? Just being, like, in the mix, you know, I wanted to get away. Like, being from L.A., everybody's here who, like, obviously didn't go off to college. And even my boy, like I said, uh, we had another guy on our team, high school team, who did get recruited. He went to USC. So even just, you know, being around that, I probably wouldn't have been as focused as I would have, as I was, uh, you know, going to Yuma, Arizona and playing, so. Hey, I won't cap, man. You, 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 you were a wise man. You know, I just, I just came back from LA for the first time. You know what I'm saying? Top tier, top tier place. I'm not gonna lie. We're we gonna circle back on this later in the podcast, but I'm, I'm gonna be moving to LA. You know, relocating. So for all my, all my DMV folks listening to this, man, you know, sayonara. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> neither here nor there. Uh, is JUCO really as as treacherous as people make it seem to be? Because I feel like I obviously I, I didn't go to JUCO, but all you hear about JUCO is like, yeah, JUCO is a grind, man. JUCO, wow, like so. From somebody who actually had to go through it, like, is it actually as as rugged or as tough as people make it seem? I feel like when people say that, it kind of sounds like they're talking about like the actual basketball, but like that part of it is just like pretty much any regular like basketball situation, but like off the court stuff, it definitely like, like you got to think like for my situation, I'm in a dorm and it's like, not like dorms at Quinnipiac, it's worse than that. So, and like we eating cafeteria food and obviously like, so, so JUCOs like national JUCOs like that, the football teams are like pretty much the entire football team, like probably went high major. So you get into the cafeteria, you get there late, a rango be no food in there type stuff like that like Damn. but like the basketball it was pretty cool though like it wasn't no i don't know grind quote unquote like obviously like the off court i mean uh the work is the grind part of it but it is what you make it i mean i pretty much worked out by myself or with one of my teammates it wasn't like the coaches putting us through anything or stuff like that you definitely gotta grind yourself out of it but i feel like 
people kind of exaggerated a little bit though. Copy, copy. Um, <clears throat> kind of fast forward to Quinnipiac, man. Obviously, I feel like it's 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 very you know uh, you know everybody's aware of the story. You know, you came in the first year under Coach Moore, didn't play, and then you know Coach Dunleavy comes next year and literally just like revives your career and you know you rest history Mac player of the year um and it propels you into your professional career but I kind of want to rewind to that that first year right because for those listening to this man I, I hosted Camel with his visit you know what I'm saying so it's I feel like when you were on your visit you committed on the visit um coming in right this is coach Moore's I guess from my perspective because I was there before Cam for context everybody listening right my freshman year I was there we had a I think we might have won nine games Everybody kind of knew that Coach Moore was on the hot seat. So um, he brought in, like, I think, what, four dudes, four Juco dudes? You, Slinky, Reggie, wait, Phil. Phil. And then it was um, Mikey and Pete came yeah. in the next year. So it was, like, six new dudes that year. Um, I feel like and out of the six dudes, four of them were Juco guys. Everybody knew Coach Moore kind of had to win in order to keep his job. Obviously, that didn't end up happening, but. When you first got on campus, because we're going to kind of walk us through in phases. When you first got on campus, right, like, what's your mindset? What's Coach Moore telling you? Like, are you thinking that you're going to kind of come in and just, you know, get right to it? Because obviously when things started, you know, it, it kind of got off to a rough start. But what's what's your mindset when you're coming into a situation initially? So with that specifically, like, the weekend before QU, I went to Iona and uh, did a visit there. So... Then I flew to QU the next week, and like I'm saying, I'm in, I'm in the office with Coach Moore, with my mom, and he's telling me like, I'm not gonna guarantee you starting, but you're gonna be playing like 30 plus minutes a game, like words out of his own mouth, like on my visit. So I was like, the visit went cool too. So that's why I like really signed on the spot, and I was tired of flying to the East Coast. Like I went back to back. It was my first time flying that way, so I was already over it. So after him telling me that. And then being over the traveling, like that's what made me sign, like on the spot. Yeah, and, and your host too showed, showed you a great time. You know what I'm saying? You had had a miss situations. Hear that, Alexis? Uh, showed the recruit a great time. You know, that's give it a spot. <laughs> um, not confirm or deny. I was not there. <laughs> oh man! So all right, so boom. So we got the recruitment. You know, you committed on the spot. Coach Moore telling you you're gonna play 30 minutes a game, right? You get to the first practice, and I feel like, again, this is from, from my perspective, early on, it seemed like, you know, Coach Moore is yelling, super physical, rebounding, everybody's going at it, and it, he's on your ass because he claims that, you know, you, you're not talking, you're not giving energy to your teammates, clapping, and all that kind of stuff. That was his, his thing about why you didn't play. So <clears throat> when, you, when we're starting practice and things like that, he's getting on your, getting on your case like, what? What are you thinking in your mind? Did you ever think like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna play? Was it kind of like, damn, like, why he on me? Like, what was going through your mind during during that time? I mean, early on, I thought I was gonna be cool, and I remember like, like right before uh, the first game, I think we played Vermont first game, right? And I had rolled my ankle, so I was out for the first game anyway. So I wasn't suited up anyway. So I came back, not really knowing the vibe of it. Like, obviously, yeah, been on me. But I thought, like, obviously, versus what he told me, I thought, like, I still showed, like, my ability enough. And uh, so I thought I was going to be in the rotation at least. I didn't think it would be, like, starting off the back or nothing like that, but I thought I would definitely be a rotation player. So it definitely caught me off guard, like, not playing for, like, 
I don't think I got in for maybe the first like seven straight games, probably. Right. So when did it click in your head, like, damn, like, nah, like, this dude's really not gonna play me this year. Like, when did when did that click for you? Like, did you realize, like, damn, like this this year might did I, did I make a mistake? Like, I guess that, that that's the first question. When did it click? Like, damn, like it's not really working out. And then number two, what's going through your mind at that time? Are you like, man, fuck it, I'm transferring, I'm out of here? Are you like, damn, like, you know what what's going through your mind during that time? It probably clicked probably like four or five games in, like, you know, after I came back from the injury and I was able to practice and stuff again. And then like four or five games in, not getting in at all. And uh, I remember we went down to that tournament um, in uh, yeah. Florida. Yeah. And then that was just another, you know, episode that went on there. <laughs> the, yeah, man, just from that point on, I already kind of felt the vibe of it, like, but yeah, definitely early on, I was still working, getting my work in, going in the gym. And then like in the middle of it, I was just over it. Like, I'm like, bro, this is, I'm definitely leaving. Like not working out no more. It was definitely, you know, a super tough time for me. But uh, and then I remember like towards the end of the year, I started to, you know, pick it up a little more with my work again and, you know, get in practice and being able to show myself a little bit. And that's, didn't really change anything, but, you know, that just, for me, it, you know, showed me that I still had that ability. Right. I think that's a good kind of, um, no, go ahead, let's go ahead, my bad. And I was just going to say, when your, when your new coach came in, of course, he kind of had already um, kind of his own scope of, you know, everybody on the team. So what were the conversations like between you and him as far as discussing what your goals were, some of the things that he was telling you about getting you on the floor more, like how did those, conversations go because of course I mean he wasn't there the whole time but as a new coach it's now your program you're the CEO of that team so at that point I'm, I'm sure he looked into the fact that you weren't playing so what was that conversation like when he was announced as a new coach and then any one-on-one -on -one time that you got with him beforehand kind of just talking about what his plan was for you that ultimately made you you know stay there and not transfer yeah um we all had individual meetings with him but like Drew probably remembers, but before we had been playing, like all the new coaches came and we would play like in groups of threes, three on three. Yep. And I was killing. So like before I was killing before my meeting with him. So I get to my meeting and he was just like, obviously you've been playing well. Like, you know, you didn't play last year, but we haven't had any like, you know, bad reports on you and stuff like that. So he was like, I, I don't know, you know, what's going on uh, with that stuff, but you know, we would like to have you back for next year. And, uh, you know, he didn't guarantee me anything, playing time or nothing like that. But he obviously could already see, like, my ability from our little three-on-three -three groups we were having before I had to meet him with him. So that kind of, you know, helped me out. I feel like, um, you know, you said something interesting in your last response. Where you were like, yeah, like, I already had it in my mind. Like, I'm out of here, you know. And I remember when Coach Dunleavy came, Mike and Pete hit the portal immediately. Uh, Phil was like, I'm out of here. Reggie was like, I'm out of here. Um, initially, Slink was going to like stay. He was kind of like wearing his options at first a little bit. So for you, when did you, when did your mind change from, nah, fuck that, I'm out of here for sure to like, all right, I might give this guy a chance? Probably the day Coach Moore got fired. Like, <laughs> no joke. I remember, <laughs> I remember being in class and somebody sent a text message like, we got to meet in the locker room at like 11 o'clock. 
And I remember being in class, like, bro, I cannot wait to get out of class just to get there, bro. Like, the day he got fired, like, I, I had a feeling like I would just have a better opportunity with somebody else coming in there. So when that happened, you immediately was like, all right, I'll, I'll probably end up staying. Or it was like, because yeah. I remember during that time, people were thinking it was going to be Grosso. Remember that? Everybody was like, Grosso's going to get the job. And it was right. like, all right. Like, that was kind of exciting. Right. Yeah. I mean, that, that definitely was a moment for me because, like, if I were to have transferred, like, with my stats, I didn't really play. Like, I probably played, you know, four minutes, got in garbage time every game. So, you know, I didn't even score. So I had no stats. So I would have probably ended up going D2 or something like that. So definitely that was the moment, like, where I was like, yeah, I'm staying for sure. Yeah. Um. So we're gonna get into Coach Dunley. They don't even air in a second. Um. Actually, no, let's get into it now. So obviously, <laughs> from my perspective, um, I remember that junior year, right? You came in, and I feel like for the guys that was there that came back that year, me, Ace, Al, Dooley, Chase, like it was no surprise. Everybody already knew that you could play. You know what I'm saying? So I, I don't think that was any surprise that you had the year that you had your junior year. Um, uh, you finally got the opportunity to get on the court for me. Um, and I think you had some pretty good games originally, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. But for me, I feel like the coming out party for you was like that whole Virgin Islands trip. Um, went to Colorado. Um, obviously, you had the 30 ball. Well, you had 30 versus Colorado, right? In that game, the first game you played, I think something, like something like that, yeah, 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 something like that. Um, and I, I thought like that tournament, like, we was like, all right, like, nah, Cam is Cam is here. And I feel like you might have had some good games before that, I don't remember specifically, but. I feel like after that tournament, it was kind of like solidified. Like, all right, he's put 30 on his high major. We played Wake Forest in that game. And that that whole tournament, you know, you, you played really well. And I think the rest was history. Um, what's going through your mind, man, at that time when you come out there and you hooping, like, right away, you like – because I feel like mentally, right, um, I, I feel like I kind of wanted this a little bit too. Like, obviously, I didn't play my senior year at Quinnipiac and do the whole rest and thing. And it was like, when you go through a year and not playing and – don't even tell me I wasn't going to be in the rotation. You kind of, like, question, like, damn, like, am I ass? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, damn, you know? And then it took me going to cop in the next year and playing 30 minutes a game and, like, averaging double figures and, like, having good games. It's like, all right, now, nah, like, I can hoop. And I just I just remember the emotions coming coming back, like, damn, like, now, nah, like, you are who you think you are. You know what I'm saying? So, for right. you, what was that moment, like, in your in your, in your your head for you when you came out the first couple of games, not conference, and you start hooping? Like, did you, like – you know, was it kind of like a a, a breath of fresh air? Like, what was the, the emotions that was going through your mind, man? Like, all right, like, nah, like, it wasn't it wasn't me. Man, like, I think that might have been our third or fourth game. I'm not sure which one it was, but I know we played Dartmouth the first game. Yeah. I had, like, I think I had eight points, shot, like, one for ten. <laughs> and I was like, I was, like you just said, like, I was like, bro, like, I might be whack. <laughs> like, I swear. <laughs> And then, like, I think the next game we might have played Brown, I want to say. I don't know if that was the second game or third game. Yeah. And I had a little bit of a better – I had, like, 15, still didn't shoot well, shot, like, five for 13 from the free throw line. And then, like, the third game, like you said, was that Colorado game. And for me, like, coming from L.A., like, like playing in the Pac-12 has, like, always been, like, something I wanted to do. So, like, going to that game, you know, I was just – super locked in and like one of my my boys name and right was on the team like I played against him in high school so it was just like a game like that I really wanted to showcase myself and you know I was just super confident at that point after coming off that brown game and you know shots was going in shots that I never 
you know, never made before was going in that game. So, like, that was definitely, like, the coming out party and probably, you know, put me on a level that I didn't even know I was at myself, to be honest. Damn, that's tough. Um, it's kind of me expounding upon that. You talk about, you know, you you kind of surprise yourself a little bit and put yourself on a level that you didn't even think that you were at. That, that year you made you made second team all Mac that year, right? Yes, that year I think you averaged like 17 points a game or something like that. Second team all Mac. Um, the next year you go on and obviously win Mac player of the year and you know you had some NBA workouts and stuff like that. To see where you got to, right? At the end of your college career, just um everything you were able to accomplish. And then looking back to where you were, right? When you're buried on the bench with the in the coach more situation, you're down on yourself, you stop working out, you're like I'm about to transfer. Uh, I feel like it's crazy when you think about it. Like, you just said, like, damn, I'm probably going to transfer and go D2. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's that close. You know what I'm saying? It's just your career going a completely different direction. If you look back on it, um, just full circle, man, how do you reflect on, you know, where you started from to where you were able to get to, um, you know, at, at the end of your Quinnipiac career, after going through, um, you know, what you went through with Coach Dunleavy and kind of being able to really like, resurrect your career. Like, how do you reflect on that time? Man, I'm definitely, like, you know, proud of myself and grateful for, like, you know, getting the opportunity to actually do it. Like, like I'm saying, like, I'm going into year five next year. And, like, I talk to my brother all the time, and he'd be like, bro, it's, like, it don't matter what happened. Like, you already, you know, you already did it. Like, but, like, when you're in the, on the journey and you, you already, like, you know, running the race, like, you don't really ever take no time to step back and look at, like, you know, the journey. So definitely like crazy like like I don't know like I'd be joking with my mom and stuff like I'd be like I'm not even supposed to be here like yeah. even coming from you know getting no offers in high school under recruited going JUCO you know they're not playing that year like from those last two years at QU it was like you know night and day from the, the rest of the journey so it definitely set up like you know where I am now and I'm definitely grateful for you know being able to make it through them tough times and being able to get where I'm at now. When you're playing in those games and you're, you know, having multiple games where you're scoring over 30, is there like something that just clicks and you're just like just having confidence and shots are just going in or is it just more so a sense of just fearlessness to just go after it? Like what is it that kind of clicked for you in those games where you were just like continuously scoring? Um, I don't know. I think maybe just seeing myself do it once, like, like I'm definitely a guy who always gets my work in. And I think, you know, going into that year, like where I was able to do it, I was already ready, you know, physically ready, but probably wasn't mentally prepared to play. So getting that first game and, you know, going off that first time, that probably, that probably like really set me up to be able to do it consistently and uh, carry it throughout that season. It kind of like, I guess kind of like a two-part question. So, you know, one of those games led to you being on Sports Center, but can you kind of just talk about that experience of being on Sports Center? And then the second part of that would be just with, you know, media coverage, sports coverage is really on the rise. A lot of people into sports, watching it, et cetera. Do you think that there are some things that the media is doing well as, as far as covering athletes and covering games? Or do you think there's some things where, you know, they could, improve their perspective or improve um, the angle at which they cover it at? 
Yeah, I mean, being on Sports Center was definitely dope. Uh, you know, stuff you dream about. Um, but yeah, like you said, uh, you know, just getting that media coverage actually kind of you know helped me because uh, it helped me be able to get like you know attention from more NBA teams and stuff like that. Cause like I had like several interviews going into the pre-draft process and they were all talking about like, you know, that game and they probably, none of them probably actually saw the game. They probably either, you know, seen it on there or seen it like on the internet or something like that. So like definitely like, I think media, you know, helping the guys who, who probably need it more than others. Like obviously the high major schools are already going to get the TV time, but, uh, for me, like being a guy who went to a mid-major school, like getting that exposure probably helped me more than uh, it would have helped somebody else that's, you know, consistently getting it. Um, so I wanna, I wanna put a bow on the whole, uh, you know, Coach Moore, don't leave your time. And I just wanna ask you, like, I feel like that was back in, like I said, 2016, 2017, you know, where you went through that situation with, with Coach Moore and, um, shoot, we're six, seven years removed from that now, right? And we always joke in the group chat, about it like yeah man like you know what I'm saying I'm chipping my shoulder forever like I'm always going 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 hold that you know uh, in my heart and stuff I want to know seven years later right you sitting back you're looking at it you know you're an adult now you have a, you're talking about going into year five year professional career do you ever look back on that time and be like I, I feel like just for me for me personally right I feel like it's easy for as players we kind of have to put that chip on our shoulder and be like nah like yeah it was it was this is why I ain't play. This is why I ain't play. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, like it's, it's their fault, right? Do you ever look back on that time and be like, you know what? I could have did something differently about that time. And I wish I would have approached it differently. Maybe if like, all right, maybe I could have been more vocal. Or maybe I could have been um, a better a better teammate, whatever that looks like, right? Do you ever look back on that time and think like, all right, like maybe I could have handled it differently? Or just how do you reflect back on that, I guess, in hindsight, because hindsight is always 2020. Just how do you how do you reflect on that? You know, seven years removed you know, as a, as a man now and as an adult now. Man, <laughs> be honest. I want you to be honest. I can see the smile in your face. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Like I've never looked at it from a like perspective of like what I could have done differently because, like, when I did my visit there, like I'm a naturally reserved person anyway. And I, I went out of my way, my mom went out of her way to say this on my visit. So like, that's my thing. If I'm gonna be myself, like I was, you know, I got penalized for being myself. Like I'm quiet. Like, I don't think I was quiet, like to the expense of the team, you know, but I'm like a naturally quiet person. So I don't think I should do anything differently because, you know, at the end of the day, like I used to always say like, I'm gonna do it my way, like not selfishly, but like, I'm not going to change myself, you know, just to fit, you know, like what he wants. And I think that's, you know, sticking to my, like sticking to that, sticking to my guns and being true to myself is what's also helped me, you know, become the player I am today. I think that's a super dope perspective, honestly. Um, I feel like that's honest. And if I know you, I think that is a, a, a super, you know, honest answer, you know, so I definitely, I definitely appreciate that for sure. Um, I think you said something too, just about being yourself and how at the end of the day, unapologetically being yourself um, has kind of carried you on to, you know, being who you are today, right? And kind of unrelated a little bit, but I'm looking at a guy like, like Russell Westbrook, for example, who's 
always unapologetically him, you know, in any situation. And it's crazy because on the Lakers, you know, people was murdering him for being a, a cancer to the team or somebody called him a vampire and this and that, right? And people were trying to blame him for all these type of different situations. And then he goes to the Clippers and I'm at the games. I'm literally, I'm in, I'm in crypto. Russell Westbrook, oh, everybody's going crazy and cheering him. I'm like, bro, like, these, these ain't these the same fans that was just booing him in, in the same arena for a different team? It's just like, it's crazy how, I guess, when you change your environment, right, you change a, a certain set of circumstances, you could do the exact same thing, but it's received two different ways just based on who, you know, who who's around you, your teammates, coaches, whatever the environment is. Um, just how do you, I guess, what's your take on that, man, just as far as, just being yourself, being authentic to yourself. Um, and just, I guess, what has that taught you? Or what, what do you think lesson, um, you know, kids or somebody that's coming behind you can kind of learn about just being authentic and being themselves in these kind of situations? I think it teaches you to be like, you know, not really dependent on what the results are. Like, you have to go through it. Like, so say if I, if in a situation, if I were to do like exactly what Coach Murray wanted me to do, like maybe that would have got me on the court. Maybe I would have played, but who knows if I would have had the same, you know, outcome, like just being in the rotation, not being the player I was. So like just me being myself, you know, allowed me to be myself when it was time to showcase myself. So I was able to, you know, probably get the the best out of it, give my full 100 instead of like, you know, giving half of myself because I'm trying to, meet him halfway and, you know, do what he wants me to do as well. So I definitely think like being true to yourself, like at the end of the day, whatever the outcome is, you can be okay with the results because you know that you were you pretty much. Where would you say like that kind of confidence comes from? Cause I feel like it's really easy to give into a program and give into what a coach wants. So I mean, at the end of the day, you want to play. So, and, you know, and depending on how you view your coach in some situations, you know, you want to please your coach in some situations, you crave that pat on the back, but some situations, you know, you're able to just stand and do your own thing. So even though, you know, you weren't necessarily seeing the results that you wanted initially by being yourself, what were some of the things that kind of, you know, made you continue to be yourself until you started seeing um, things kind of move towards your favor a little bit? I think that's just who I've been, like, you know, probably influenced from, like, my mom, for instance. My mom is a person that's not changing for nobody, like, good or bad, you know, it could be right or wrong in her in her mind, but that's just something, that's how I, how I grew up, like, you know, yeah, like, I don't even really know how to explain it, to be honest, like, I feel like that's something that probably was instilled in me, like, since I was younger, so that's how I was able to do it, I suppose. So I feel like we've talked a lot about Quinnipiac and, um, you know, kind of moving on to your pro career, right? First year out of college, you had a bunch of, of um, NBA draft workouts and things like that. And you initially decide to go to Italy to play uh, for Pacanestro Cantu, um, top division in Italy, one of the best leagues in Europe, best leagues across the world. Um, before we get to your season, actually, in Italy, right? What was your mindset when you came out of uh, of Quinnipiac? Because in my mind, right, like, I feel like when people always ask me about you, like, yo, hey, you play with bro from Quinnipiac that had 50? I was like, yeah, that was my teammate. He was like, yeah, bro, like, 
like what's his game like? I'm like, bro, like he's a he's an NBA player, bro. Like he could play in the league, you know what I'm saying? Like offensively, he could score. He has size, he's athletic, can shoot it. You know what I'm saying? He's everything that you would want in a guy that is an NBA player, in my opinion. So when you came out, right, you're doing the NBA workouts. I think you did Portsmouth too, right? You went to Portsmouth. Um, was your mindset, all right, I'm going to the league, like right away? And I guess secondly, when did you kind of have to be like, all right, you know what, league not calling, I'm going to go overseas? Because I feel like for a player like yourself who's Mac player of the year, score 50, did Portsmouth, you're doing the NBA workouts, you're getting the feedback, right? Like, what was that feedback like for you initially from NBA teams? And then I guess what was your mindset as far as weighing, all right, do I chase the NBA right away or do I go get this money? Yes, yeah, so like you said, I did the I did Portsmouth. Uh, I played, you know, pretty decent. Didn't play as good as I thought I could. But, uh, yeah, then I did probably like – I think I had like eight or nine workouts. But uh, towards the end, like I had an Exhibit 10, so which is training camp with the Boston Celtics. Um, so they, I would have done training camp with them, probably got waived and did G League. Right. But the reason I didn't do it was because my boy, Elijah Stewart, like I said, went to USC. He was on the Exhibit 10 the year before and he didn't play. So I wanted to play. Like that was my main, my main thing. I wanted to get on the court. Like I didn't know, me knowing now, like if you're in Exhibit 10, nine times out of 10, you're going to be one of the main guys playing. But at the time I'm going off of that. Like one of my closest friends is going through it and not playing. So that was the main reason why I didn't go to training camp with Boston and I went to Italy because I know like going overseas, I mean, no matter what, you're going to be on the court. Like they're, they're not paying you overseas to, you know, come and just sit on the bench. So I, and then going back, like the situation happened in college. Like I didn't want to be in no situation where I was on the bench and couldn't, you know, grow my wealth or show people. So I, like that was pretty much probably like the influence from my friend. And then also, you know, the stuff that I already had been through that made me made sure I had to, you know, get on the court and play and showcase myself, especially as a rookie. You kind of mentioned earlier about just naturally um, being reserved and kind of being more of an observer, not really like the first person to speak. But when you're in a new environment, you know, overseas in Italy, did you find yourself having to step out of your comfort zone a little bit to like learn the language, kind of learn the flow, the culture and stuff like that. And like, what were some things that you kind of, that you kind of did, whether that was like dependent on teammates to translate or, you know, doing research or whatever that case may be like, what were some of the things that you had to do to really, you know, immerse yourself and get the most out of that experience? I probably really did the opposite. Like I could probably tell you, ciao is the only word I know in Italian. Like, I mean, <laughs> I didn't like get into the culture at all. Like my thing was just like, if I'm gonna go there and I got to learn the language, like people should be able to do the same thing. Like in my eyes, like <laughs> these people had American teammates for years now. So like, why should I have to come and learn a whole new language? Like it's the same thing. So that's how I kind of was like, my teammates definitely did help me. I had some older guys who had been over there for years. So they kind of, you know, helped me along the way uh, on the court and off the court. But with the language stuff, I definitely, you know, didn't adapt, didn't try to learn anything, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I can remember uh, the, 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 the QU group chat, Snapchat, uh, you were sending a bunch of Milan footage, man, just shopping, buying the Balenciagas, <laughs> spending, <laughs> spending, <laughs> going to, uh, what, Just, Just Cavalli. Hey, if you've been to Milan, you know about Just Cavalli, man. If you know, you know. Great nights, great nights. <laughs> Talk about just uh, 
what it was like, man, playing in Milan. Cause we had Kyle Allman Jr. on the podcast uh, a couple couple months back. He's playing in Paris. Um, and he was talking about just the experience of playing in Paris, right? Like you're in one of the, literally like the top destinations in the world, you know what I'm saying? Like playing basketball is like, it's crazy. You know, obviously you, um, you know, being close to Milan, being able to go to Milan frequently, like what was that like just being able to play in a city that people, that's like a vacation destination and people oh, want to go to Milan and see Duomo and go to Italy. Like, what was that like that year just being able to get out there and play? Man, Milan was, was lit, bro. <laughs> it was lit, especially like me being like like a young 22 like first time really having some money in my pocket like being in Milan was crazy like obviously it's like one of the you know premier shopping destinations but just like the vibes like it's really like it's kind of like New York like that's like probably the city like I would compare Milan to maybe but like just being there especially like I'm saying like having a little money in my pocket like it was definitely you know a vibe a good place to be you have any uh, favorite nights, favorite memories, favorite experiences from Milana that you could share on the pod? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't even think of those specifically, bro, but just like a lot of good nights. Like one of my my vets, uh, Joe Raglan, like he would, me and him would just always go. Like I would just kind of, you know, follow him and see what he was doing because he had already been there, played EuroLeague and stuff like that. So, just seeing the way he, like, he would go to Louis store and just cash out on, like, a $15,000 Louis jacket. And at the time, I'm only making, like, I don't even know, like, $7,000, $8,000 a month or something like that. And I'm like, bro, you spending two months, two months salary on a jacket, like, and it was nothing to him. Like, it didn't even matter. Like, so that's, like, probably one of the things that really sticks out the most, like, when I think about my time, my first year. Bro. It's uh, it's crazy you say that, bro. Because I feel like this year being in Japan, I'm in Tokyo. I'm not in Tokyo. I, I was, I'm three hours from Tokyo in a city called Okayama, and uh, I'll never forget like, you know, Asia dudes be out here cashing out, bro. But like regular Joe Smoes. I feel like one thing about Europe is like, you can see, oh yeah, this dude, you know, Mike James or whatever, whatever. Oh, you can watch this guy on Switch Cultures and like, oh, he getting to it. He making four hundred thousand, five hundred thousand, whatever. I feel like in Japan, dudes, you'll never like. You never heard of you like, hey, who like 400,000, 300,000? So, uh, one night we go out in Tokyo and, um, uh, <laughs> we, I, I ain't gonna say my man name over here, but we have one of my homies, he played in the B2, right? It's not, it's not even first division Japan, it's B2 Japan. So, uh, we go out and, uh, we get a table at this spot called R2. If any folks in Japan, they know about R2. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a bar, but it's like a lounge type of situation, but they got tables in there with like hookah, all that type of stuff. So we go on R2. Mind you, it's, it's like four guys. It's like four of us. We start inviting people to the section and whatever, whatever. And uh, we get to the section. He's like asking the shorties, like, oh, yeah, like, what y'all drink? Like, he's like, oh, wine. Like, I got wine. That's how you say red wine in Japanese. I got wine. Bro, we order like, I think it was like eight, nine bottles of wine, bro. And mind you, this is not no, like, bottom shelf house wine. It's like top shelf wine. Like, I don't even remember what it was, bro. I'm looking, Bill come. Mind you, and then I'm home coming. They start ordering cigars, bro. Like, like, hey, this the this our, our our house cigar, whatever. They pass the cigars around. Set come, woo woo. Like, I, I didn't even want to look at the bill, bro. But I'm like, damn, slim. Like, and mind you, this is like a Thursday or Friday. Like, this ain't even like a crazy Saturday night. And I'm like, bro, you could just spend that drink like it's nothing. It's crazy. It was wild to me, bro. 
I think that like people be thinking when you go to the league, like obviously those guys living crazy, but it's a bunch of dudes overseas that's having their way, like <laughs> not even thinking about money at all. You know what I'm saying? So I definitely, man, I can uh I can respect it, man. I was in Milan for a couple of days and I definitely gotta go back out there for sure. Okay, so I have a question. So you mentioned y'all had hookah. So what is your opinion on hookah? This is for both. Like what? Because some people are like, oh, like, God shouldn't do hookah. Some people are like, oh, like, yeah, like if I'm out and people don't hookah, like it's cool. Like what? What 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 vibes do the hookah give? Like, is it not? Go first, and then I'm gonna answer next. I mean, as you know, I don't smoke or drink, so like, you know, when I go out, I just have a good time. So I don't got nothing against it. I don't got nothing against guys doing it, but I personally don't do it. Who can not smoke it though? You don't even inhale. I don't know. I never tried it, so I couldn't even tell you, bro. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm heavy on the hookah. Okay. So for all y'all out there that be talking about man shouldn't smoke hookah, this and that, y'all may well go somewhere. Cause yeah, hookah is definitely getting bust down every time we go outside for sure. Number one, because a lot of times me, I'm going out with the fellas. You feel me? So we don't got, we not going out with like a bunch of females, but it's like we ain't about to just get out. We ain't about to be in the section with a bottle, no shoulders, just 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 you know what I'm saying. So we like, all right, let's get the hookah, get a little vibe. You feel me? Then you could get the hookah. Get a little drink, see what's going on, and you cooling. It's like you don't gotta sit there and just be with a drink in your hand, looking around. Like you look weird. You're like, nah, get comfy, get relaxed, put the hookah down, and you cool. Feel me? So I don't know. I think that whole thing goes into the whole rabbit hole of things men can't do. Everybody wants to say, oh, man can't smoke hookah. Man can't get their nails done. If you if you get a manicure, you this. Oh, man can't, like, I'm like, man, so what, what can men do? Like, man can't do nothing. Like, y'all just feel like everything is feminine nowadays, bro. Like. Don't, so. don't say y'all. I was just asking a question. Don't say my, y'all. I say y'all, I don't mean you. I mean, out there. You know what I'm saying? The people, people, the the, the Twitter finger people. You know what I'm saying? That's what I'm talking about. Nah, man, but um, I want to ask you too. Let's, let's fast forward to kind of present day, right? You're in, you're playing with G League Ignite. What has this season been like for you playing with Ignite? Because number one, you had a unique situation with Ignite to where you weren't you weren't on a, a regular G League salary. You were able to kind of make a little bit more playing with Ignite, number one. Um, and number two, you know, you're playing with the projected second pick in the draft. You're playing with School Henderson. So there's a bunch of media hype following you guys, cameras. You guys had the ESPN game earlier in the year versus Wemby, which we'll get into in a little bit. But talk about this year playing with Ignite, what that experience was like for you. Um especially as an older guy, right? Because Ignite was initially started to have elite high school prospects come out of high school. So for you, being an older guy, being a guy who played professional basketball already overseas at a high level, um, you know, what was it like coming into this experience this year? Yeah, like you said, that's that's pretty much our role. Like, you know, we had probably five or six vets on the team and we're there to pretty much, you know, show the young guys, you know, how to be pros. Like, obviously, guys like Scoot and, you know, London, they're 18, 19 years old. So, you know, school was in the second year of being a pro, but, you know, still like we're kind of, you know, giving them the the cheat sheet, like to the to the pros, like why they still, they're, they're pros now, but, you know, it's still the amateur level for them. So that's pretty much like what the role is as a, as a vet on Ignite. Uh, it was definitely like a little different for me because uh, like last year, like I, the year before 
I fried the G League, right? Like I'm averaging like 21, you know, playing like 30, high 30s, 30 minutes a game, you know, coming into a situation where it's more catered towards the young guys. So, you know, I had to adjust to that, you know, and, uh, you know, still be able to get my game off and still try to, you know, help them out as well and, uh, you know, play the game. Yeah. Um, what was that like for you? Because I feel like all I've known you, your whole, well, at least from Quinnipiac, at least, you've always been a scorer, right? You know, you mentioned the year before in the G League, going for 40 in the G. So what was this year like from a basketball perspective, trying to adjust? And then conversely, again, like you're playing with somebody like school who has the ball, obviously, a lot, even though he was injured in, in a bunch of times, kind of in out of the lineup. But what was that like for you having to kind of adjust your game? Because a lot of times people would say, like, if a guy like yourself is trying to make the league, you're not going to be James Harden with the ball or LeBron. You're going to be trying to fit into a role where you kind of have to do more with less, with limited shots, limited touches. So, you know, for you, just uh, how was it, what was that process like trying to adjust their game this year, you know, playing with talent and playing with other guys? Um, it was, I think it was something that it was easy for me to do. Like, uh, obviously, like the year before, like I played so well, but I didn't get caught up. So I knew it was something else that I, like, I needed to show. So, like, you know, going into this year, like, I kind of treated, like, you know, guys like Scoot and Leonard. Like, I tried to imagine myself being on, like, the Lakers, or for instance, and imagine them being, like, LeBron or AD or Russ and kind of trying to, you know, play within, play within that system and trying to play off them, trying to still play my game, like, while they're obviously the focal points. And I think it's something I did well, like, pretty much being the first time I've ever had to play that role. And uh, like you said, like, that's a role, like, most guys are going to have to play in the NBA. So I think, you know, that was something that I was able to do well. And uh, that was probably the reason why, like, I was able to put myself in that situation and not think of it as like a G League team. Think of it more so as like, you know, Scoot's the number two pick, so he's going to be, you know, the main guy on whatever team he goes to. So that's kind of how I kind of looked at it. Um, and what did you see from Scoot? Speaking of him, like, I feel like I've never played with Scoop. Obviously, I've, I've only seen highlights outside of the game that I watched on ESPN. I've never really um, seen too much of him. So for you, being with him every day in practice, seeing him perform, what makes him so special? Like, what makes you do, do I guess, being with him this year, have you been able to see, like, all right, I see how people see, you know, he's number two player in the draft and probably will be number one if it wasn't for Wemby. Like, what is it about him that makes his game so, so special? I mean, obviously, it's the things that we see. Like, he's freak athlete you know, explosive, and uh, he has vision, like, you know, he's a point guard, so, you know, he gets guys involved, but, like, he's just a kid, like, bro, he works, he works his ass off, though, like, he's probably the first person to the gym, last person to leave the gym, like, we had a bus that came and picked us up from our apartments and took us to the gym, and he'd always drive his own car over, like, so he'd be there before, like, we started practicing, you know, shooting or lifting, getting whatever work he had to get in, like, he got, like, like, definitely for me at 18 and 19, like, that's not what I was on. Like, I wasn't working like that. Like, obviously, he's a pro, but, you know, he's able to, you know, do what he does. Like, he killed the G League two years in a row, like, at 18, 19 years old. And it's really outside of the athleticism and the guy giving talents is the work he puts in. Like, he really works. Um, When you look back on that game versus Wembenyama, right, like, how crazy was that game? I feel like they hyped it up so much. Oh, you know, first of all, overseas teams, unless you're doing like a, a preseason NBA thing where you're going to play 
the Clippers or the Kings or the Warriors, or whatever Lakers, like you're not overseas teams don't come to the States and play in America. So the fact that they set that whole game up so that they could match up, um, and obviously seeing, you know, the freak that Wemby is in person, just what do you remember about, about that game? Um, or those two games that you guys played against them, man. And I guess what are your thoughts on Wemby as well? Yeah, I mean, I think it was dope that they was able to set that game up. Um, I didn't really know initially, like when I signed Tech Night, that we were going to be playing that game because the game was like in October, I want to say. Yeah, super early. Yeah, super early. And, you know, normal G League stuff normally doesn't start up to like late September or September in general. So, yeah. Um, yeah, like it was cool. They were able to, you know, obviously put the number one and number two pick up against each other and let them duke it out and, you know, Obviously, it is what it is. It was a crazy game. Like, you know, Scoot went crazy. Wimbayama went crazy. And it was just, like, probably, I don't know, like, one of the best matchups you could probably say, like, for dudes going into the draft, like, that's probably one of the best matchups you've ever probably seen, like, ever for 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 prospects that have played against each other on that stage. But, uh, yeah, like, Wimbayama, he, he's OD, like, you know, he's seven, seven, four, handle, athletic, shoot threes. Like, he's OD for sure. Like, one thing that stands out to me the most is one, <laughs> one bucket he had. Like, I'm on the bench at the time. He, like, dribbled to the deep corner and just, like, shot it, like, leaning out of bounds. Like, I was like, at seven four, it really don't make no like it don't make no sense. Nobody be doing that like that stuff. Steph does like, at, and it's and it's crazy when he do it. But at seven four, it just look ridiculous. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, I remember that shot too. Well, my my guy clipped that, clipped that, and showed it, folks. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I think I think one thing that I always wanted to ask, man, like you mentioned it, you last year playing in the G League, you average twenty one a game, right? You killing right, and you don't get the call up. I mentioned already on this podcast. Like I feel like I think you're an NBA player when you look at, like I said, your size, your ability to shoot the ball, um, you're athletic, get up on the rim, punch on dudes, send the highlights, go check that tape. Why do you think you're not in the NBA? If somebody asks you, damn, Cannon, why are you not in the league? Like, how would you respond to that question? I think like year after year, it kind of changes, like. Actually, like out of college, I think it was because like, you know, the level I played at and, um, you know, I feel like I get closer and closer to like, you know, the further I get in my career, I'm like going into year five, like I only played four years. And uh, I feel like people just haven't really seen me. Like, obviously, even like the year I was averaging 21 in the G League, like I came a month late, like I had got, you know, cut from uh, the South Bay Lakers. So I missed the whole first month. So when the call-ups start happening over, like, December, I had only played for a month. Like, yeah, I've been averaging 20, but I only played, like, six, seven games. So just stuff like that. I feel like, you know, timing timing has to do with it a lot, too. Like, I feel like a lot of situations, like, had the same situation last year with the call-ups happened this year, I would have been an easy call-up. But, like, you know, timing and just things of that nature. Yeah, I think I am. I think that's a perfect, perfect segue, man. So I asked this question to a bunch of guys, man. I asked it to Kyle Allman, I asked it to James Palmer. We had him on a couple episodes ago. And you mentioned, right, you've been a pro for four years. You've done first division in the league. 
played summer league last year with Cleveland. You know, you've been offered exhibit 10. You played with a night this year. Um, you're at the age right now, right? Where 26, right? Going on 27. Are you there? I turn 27. Uh, 27 right now, right? So where are you at now as far as the NBA, right? You just said in your statement, right? I feel like I'm getting closer and closer every year. So at this point in your career today, do you feel like you still want to try to give it a shot to chase the league? Are you at a point where you're like, you know what, man, I want to go overseas and just try to max out, make as much money as I can? How do you balance that in your mind when you do feel like you're getting closer and closer to realizing the ultimate dream of making the NBA? But at the same time, it's like you're 27. So it is like, all right, man, some, at some point you got to try to go, you know, go and get paid, right? How do you balance that in your mind? How do you, you know, I guess it's the ultimate battle, man, but where are you at with that right now? Um, I think I'm like in between, you know, like, I feel like, you know, obviously this situation I was just saying with Ignite is different than a regular G League situation, like pretty much our entire team makes six figures. So it's like, it's not like I'm, I know, I seen, I seen uh, the, the quote you put uh, when James Palmer was like, you know, it's a difference between 35 and, and whatever he said, 150. It really is. But, you know, obviously yeah. in my situation, it was a little different. Um. I think moving forward, like, you know, I'm at a point where, like, I do feel like I'm getting closer and closer, but I think I can, you know, go after the money and still go out there at the same time. So, like, definitely, like, a situation in Europe or Australia or something like that, I think that could be a situation where I can go get paid and still also give myself the, you know, the rope to be able to, you know, make it back to the league if if that situation does present itself. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. I think um, I think that's the hardest part, man. Because like, as kids, we always tell ourselves, right? Like, I'm trying to get to the league. You know what I'm saying? That's always the ultimate goal. And it's like, sometimes you have to redefine what success looks like to you, you know? Because I feel like I was always, we were talking about this last week on um, the Barbershop episode. It was like, yo, like, as a hooper, right? Like, you know, do you feel like you failed if you didn't make the league, right? Like, I've been overseas for two years, about to be my third year overseas this year. And it's like, you know, I'm not in your position to where I'm chasing the league. I'm like, you know, I'm going to ride my career off into the sunset overseas. And it's like, well, damn, you didn't make it to the league then. Did you fail? Like, how do you how you look at that? And for me, I feel like I had to redefine what success was for me as far as a basketball player, as a pro, and, like, just maximizing my potential. You know, so for you, you know, how do you quantify that for yourself as far as, like, damn, like, all right, you know, let's say you you go overseas and you make – millions of dollars overseas you don't make the league right how will you look back on on that uh as your career as a success you reach the goal how do you i guess how do you you know quantify that in your mind i think for like like you said like like me and you we both are professional basketball players and i think like with the whole failure thing i think as a pro like and probably other people who play basketball can attest to it like it's different than when like a regular person is looking at us. Like if we say we play overseas, like they probably don't look at it as, you know, what it is. Like it's a crazy accomplishment. Like you can still make crazy money, stuff like that. So I never look at it as a, as a failure because like, it's still a place where, you know, a lot of people don't make it to like, I don't know what the statistics are, but just being a pro in general is like slim to none. So obviously it's a goal of mine to, make it to the NBA. But at the end of the day, like, 
I just want to be able to play at the highest level possible that I can play at and be able to succeed at that level. Like, like I kind of like goal set every year. Like I haven't personally won a championship, you know, at the pro level. I haven't won a MVP or a scoring title or stuff like that. And I think just like things like that are things that I'm chasing. And like, you know, that's what, you know, I can call success at the end of the day. Like, you know, I'm like next year, like whatever league I go to, I want to win, you know, a scoring title or first team or something like that. And I think obviously the NBA is the the number one goal, but those are still small goals along the way, like that I can still be proud of and, you know, still know that I succeeded. 100%. 100%. Um, sheesh, man. I think that's, that's a, a good way to kind of, Wrap up the heavy stuff, man. We got some quick hitters, though, man. You know what I'm saying? Got to get the quick hitters, man. Um, So, as you know, the name of the podcast, What's in Your Bag podcast. So, got a two-part question for you. When you stepping out, let's say we're in L.A., right? Let's say let's say uh, we're going to uh, – damn, I don't even know the – well, I'm, I don't know. LA, first of all, L.A. is super bougie, man, because West Hollywood is super bars and lounges. You know what I'm saying? So, I don't know. But you going out for a night on the town, right? What's in your bag? Number one, like, what are you putting in your physical bag? Like, if you have a little over-the-shoulder bag or if you carry a bag with you, what do you put in it? And then number two, what's the fit that you that you throw on to pop out, man? What's the, what's the fit? And I normally – I don't really wear the the bags. They are they are tight, though. I kind of want a Goyard one, but <laughs> I don't even know what I would have in it. But I'd probably throw – if I had one, like, I don't know. Phone, I guess some some safety items, and then I don't know, I don't know what else go in it. You you probably can tell me more about what going in the bag. I'm about to see you, bro. First of all, I always got to bring the charger. That's number one. You never know what night go in. So the charger come with me. Chapstick every time. Can't have chap lips going outside. The cologne gotta have to smell good. You know what I'm saying? Wallet, phone. Um, and I usually be bringing some shades too. So that's usually what's in my bag. You know, if I'm going out, you can always find them in the in the Drew Fly over the shoulder tote bag. You know what I'm saying? How, <laughs> um, how big is the bag? It's like a tote bag. It's a tote bag. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, 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 I got a yeah tote bag swag. Tote bag swag. Or I do. Um, if I have a crossbody, then I'll probably do the same things, but just without the um, the shades probably won't be in there. And depending on the over the shoulder bag, how big it is, maybe the clone won't be in there, but I usually bring my tote bag wherever I go normally. So it'd be, it'd be making it work, you know what I'm saying? And then what's the fit, Ken? Give us, give us the fit, man. What you throwing on? Obviously it depends on the outing, but like I'm real in the Stone Island right now. I've been on Stone Island for like a couple of years now. It's just probably my favorite brand just cause it's so like calm. Like obviously it costs what it costs, but like you really won't know what it is unless you obviously, you know, are into, you know, that brand or you know what the brand is. Like it don't got no, you know, big logos or big uh pictures on it and stuff like that. It's just like real calm stuff. So that's where I'm at right now. Okay. And what's the kicks? What's the kicks? Man, you know me, I'm always always got some fly kicks on, but <laughs> I probably I don't know, probably some J's, probably some black hats, all black four, something like that. Can't never go wrong with Jordans. 
Okay. Okay. See, I, I thought you was going to Balenciaga, man. Can 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 I feel like you was a, a brand ambassador for Balenciaga when you was in Italy? <laughs> yeah, bro. I, was, I don't know, man. Like as I get older and like you know further along, I get like over the designer stuff. Like designer stuff is cool, but like at the end of the day, like if you took the logo off of it, it wouldn't probably be tight. Like so, yeah. I'm kind of low key off the designer stuff. Growth, love that, love that. All right, now you feel about the Lakers, man. You know what I'm saying, wait, Lexi, did, did, did you have a question before you? I don't know if I moved on. You like about to say something? Oh no, I just laughed at you saying growth. <laughs> What's up with these Lakers, man? Who you know? What I'm saying Lakers winning this series. They win the. They win the ring. I know you were. Are you a Lakers fan? Like, are, is that is that your mob? Like, bro, sports teams is like weird back, for me. You going bro. back and forth? You be going back and forth. Like I'm saying, I was, you know, like I started hooping late, so I never really had a team. Like, so, like, even watching hoops, like, I like LeBron growing up, but I was never, like, you know, I never had a team. So, like, I just root for certain players. I like certain players. Like, I really like James Harden. So, like, you know, I don't care who wins or loses, but, you know, I obviously want to see him play and stuff like that. But in this series, I I thought the Warriors were going to get it done early, but at this point, it's looking like, Probably Lakers win this game at home. And and then who you got winning the chip this year? I mean, it's probably gonna end up being a Lakers. I, I think it could be like a Lakers Sixers matchup and Lakers. If AD's cool, he probably they play probably get it done. That'd be crazy for the city, man. That'd be crazy for the city. All right. Funniest, funniest Quinnipiac memory. Funniest. Wildest wow, first thing that comes to your mind, we think about your time that going to be at. Trying to think of one we could talk about on here. <laughs> mm. <sighs> it might be uh, probably just like going out like the first year with Slink. Like Man. we would. We would go to Toes, like Toes was like the, you know, obviously the spot. We would go in there, but we went in like a couple times with stink bombs. And we just like <laughs> yeah. stuck, stuck bomb the whole club. Like it was horrible, bro. <laughs> we went hey, to yo. and set them off. Was we ever in there when y'all did this? Or y'all was just going there on some dolo times? Like, was this a, a team mob? Y'all ever did it? I, I think y'all was there, but it, I don't even remember, like, we was definitely, like, only going there to do that. Like, we was on demon time for sure. Like, so y'all might not even smell there. It might have been what it was. But, yeah, that was probably the craziest moment. Damn. All right. Um, favorite favorite New Haven or, or uh, Hamden area restaurant? Definitely the ice cream spot. Arthusis. Arthusis? I knew you was going to say that. I knew you was going to say that. Every time I go, I try to I try to make a trip out there every summer just to, like, I'll be saying it's to, you know, talk to the young boys and stuff, but that's really what it's for. Get the ice cream. <laughs> hey, nah, Arthusis is top tier, man. If you know, you know Arthusis, man. We got to send it to them. Maybe they sponsor the podcast. You know what I'm saying? Right. We, 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 you know, get them a, a little nice little bag out of them, man. Um... Let's see. Alexa, you got any quick hitters for us? Anything off top of the head? Um, were you able to participate in any of like the fashion weeks or anything when you were in um Italy or just like even if you weren't able to go to any of the shows, did you just see any like um 
switch up and just the effort that people was putting in the outfits or just or even just like being in Italy like any kind of fashion trends that you kind of noticed that you might not have like you know incorporated into your own style but just notice like oh, okay I see y'all do that that's that's kind of cool it doesn't work for me but that's kind of cool uh yeah I did I went to a show I went to uh I believe a Palm Angel show uh my first year it was cool um that was my first time being at a fashion show in general or going to fashion week or anything so that was cool but the one thing that like stands out like in Italy specifically like everybody wears designer like it's almost like normal like you'll go to the the Duomo or whatever, and you'll see every single person having designer bag, designer shoes, or if you go out, everybody has designer on. It's like, that was the first time I've seen it be so broad, even being like from LA, like it's even more dramatic than like what I've seen in LA, like in uh, in Milan. Favorite restaurant in LA? We talking like hood spot or like bougie spot? Both. I'm going back next summer. Like I said, I'm a, I'm a resident now, so I, I, I need to drop. Uh, it's like a bougie spot, probably be Barry's. Uh, it's like by uh, it's by the Beverly Center. Like they got mm -hmm. like, I get the buffalo shrimp if I was you. If I went there, they got like lobster pizza fire. But hood spot though, definitely Brawley Hut on Crenshaw. <laughs> Crenshaw, man, like. Chili cheese fries every time. I don't even know. I've been eating that since I was probably like four or five years old, bro. I don't even know what else, what every, what anything else tastes like, bro. Chili I was about to fries. say you never had, you ever had pinks, the hot dog oh. spot. Never <sighs> been. Hey, I won't lie to you, bro. I won't lie, bro. We, we, you, you know, um, we went to this spot in, uh, I think it's in West Hollywood. It's called State uh, Station Sixteen Forty. So we went there or whatever, and then after we went to Pink's, this is this it was a Sunday day party, so it's like 10 p.m., 11 p.m. Smack. We went in there, bro. I ain't gonna lie. Look, she know about like Ben Shitty Bowl. It's like a Ben Shitty Bowl type spot, but it's the LA version basically. Mm -hmm. So was you was in LA eating glizzies, is yes. what you're trying to say. Yes, <laughs> that was the top five glizzy I ever had in my entire life. Like, I won't lie. Like <laughs> Make sure no. Make sure you had tank. Make sure you have tank. Cut this clip right here. <laughs> Put a little indicator, a little indicator on the premiere timeline. Make sure you cut this. Cut hey, it, please, tank. That was a top five hot dog I ever had in my life. With the chili cheese fries, they had the diced tomatoes on that joint. Hey, bro, you gotta go there, bro. I'm trying to tell you, flew go to Venezuela. Stop by there, bro. I'm trying to tell you, best. Best choice you'll make, but I don't know. Like you said, Brawley's, I might, I might have to go try that next time I'm there, cause uh, yeah. But Pink is the one though. I won't lie. It might, it might give Ben Chili Bowl some bump relaxes. I won't lie. It's like it might be like a one and one a for hot dogs, especially late night. <laughs> oh brother. Oh, oh. Man. oh man, that's a that's a perfect way to uh to end it, man. But um now nah, on a serious note though man this has been a, a great a great time just catching up reminiscing you definitely dropped a lot of gems you know on just how to approach going through adversity from going through adversity at Quinnipiac in the college career to navigating the pro career and having to you know be able to redefine success and stuff like that and I always end every episode by just, just giving out flowers man I think um it's crazy because obviously me and you came in the same well we didn't come in the same year but you we were the same class graduated the same class 
Um, pretty much played the same position, had to battle it out in college. Um, and just to see where you've been able to, to, to take your career from 2016 when we met to now, man, incredibly proud of everything you've been able to do, you know, on the basketball court, um, you know, seeing what you've been able to do overseas in the G. Um, I know you got a lot of, a lot of great things on the horizon, man. So just keep going, man. Keep chasing. We're always going to be supporting you, obviously, here at, at All Facts, man, in, uh, in the group chat. Um, next time I come to L.A., man, don't duck me, man, because I was trying, I was trying I told you come pull up, you know what I'm saying, to the to the runs, man. I don't know what happened, but, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll leave that. We'll leave that somewhere else, man. But, nah, man, thank you for coming on the podcast today, man. Like I said, keep, keep being great because, uh, like I said, I know you got a, a bright future ahead. I appreciate you, bro. I want to say the same to you, bro. Like, definitely proud of you. Um, similar situation, I feel like, you know what I mean? Like, could have easily, you know, gave up both of us. And, you know, we at where we at now. And I think we still probably got a long time to go in this. So, congratulations. And I'm proud of you, too, bro. Appreciate it, my boy. Appreciate it, my boy, man. Like I said, we're going to uh, next summer, man. L.A. You know what I'm saying? L.A. 2024, man. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to have to. I had to make a stop back in the DMV so me and Alexis can hit Park and Rose Bar, you know what I'm saying? Law Society. So I'll probably do that. And then I skip won't be there. What? You ain't coming back home? Wow. I, you moved to the West Coast and forgot about I us. I won't be there. Wow. Be us, you you live in Japan. I'm coming back next summer. I'll be back next summer. Don't worry about it. I I I ain't running off. I ain't running off out here. Believe that. Well, I won't be there. So y'all, y'all boys be easy up at Rose Bar and Park and wow. Creole on 14th and, wow. and Barcode and Wow. You you just forgot where you came from now? No, I just don't have a reason to go. What you mean? What's in your bag reunion? The people want it. Already, 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 me and Tank already had link up, so now it's it's only right. Well, you and Tank filmed the filmed the in person episode, and I was in Phoenix. Yeah, I mean, you know, you was too busy being being lit, covering the Final Four. Like, you know, what I'm saying it's it's it's, it's tough. It's gonna to be tough to keep you on the payroll, Alexis. You know what I'm saying? You're doing big things, so it's gonna to be tough for us. We gotta negotiate. Well, whatever. I need Ricks. Hmm. Hey, listen, my bad, my bad, Rick, Rick's mommy. We got to talk to, 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 to Ace. I'm going to talk to Ace about that. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll get the salary. We'll, we'll yeah. get y'all a nice, you know, nice little salary. Just support your expensive habits. Yeah. <laughs> All Thank right, you. guys. Thank you. You're welcome. This has been another episode of the What's In Your Bag podcast presented by Bet Online. Like I said in the beginning, man, make sure you guys are liking this podcast, subscribing to this podcast. Give us a five-star rating. that goes a long, long way. Make sure you guys tap in with my boy, Pull Up Tay. It's going to be him on the outro. Make sure you stream his latest album just dropped. So go tap in, guys. Until next time, folks. Peace. Suave. 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 I've been in my bag for a while, I'm invincible Story of a young boss, grinding shit critical Calling on my bros one time, cause you special I had some who dreams of writing rounds for my mentor Every target that I shoot is on point like a pencil Different road, change relationships, I'm so sorry Came up from the trenches and I made it, I say hardly now Thank you for listening to Believe You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show And giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. 
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.